100% target velocity. Steve, picking up tremendous EMI levels around the machine. All field measurements are pegged off scale high. Steve, we're approaching our abort limits. Okay, go! I hear her. I hear her. Barely, but, but, but she's, she's there. Okay, go! She says she's okay to go. Steve, we're real close. Electrical, what's your reading in the core? The internal environment looks normal. Inside the core, the weather's beautiful. I'm okay to go. I'm okay to go. I'm okay to go. Initiate drop sequence. Mark my mark. Ten. Nine. Power transfer. Eight. Seven. Six. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week, And especially this year, we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your fear of God hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here a minute ago, but he rather rudely called me an awful waste of space, which, man, that's, that's that's rough coming from your bud of two decades on but you know i don't know maybe he was just uh just in a mood we'll find out soon enough i hope in the meantime allow me to welcome you listeners back into what saves us the second of a pair of overarching series this year this time featuring films and media that nurture your wonder that invigorate your awe that enrich your humanity not to overstate things but film and media that are saving you now Last week, we ventured beyond the reef with Disney's Moana. Today, we are looking to the stars in 1997's Robert Zemeckis film, Contact. Joining us in the wormhole today is the Jody Foster to our Matthew McConaughey, the Data to our Picard and Riker, continuity guru and fellow lost lover, Stephen Beckley. Stephen, welcome back to the show. Ah, oh, it's great to be back. You, I, you said you've been gone for like you know, 18 hours or months or whatever that was, <laughs> but it's only been like a second. You, you didn't go anywhere. You were here for, uh, what, what were you last on? Uh, killer clowns. And, yeah. Killer uh, clowns from outer space. You know, to you, it's been like a year for us. It was just a couple of weeks. Huh. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, Steven, I need you to go talk to your dad on an extraterrestrial landscape real quick, because I'm getting ahead of myself a bit here at the fear of God. We explore 
We don't explain, except for right now. When I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform, you can watch The Fear of God on YouTube, and you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you will find Reed. Hey, buddy. You can. All right, all right, all right. Ah, there he is. <laughs> there he is. Makana. Hey. Hey. How you doing? I'm good. I don't know if you noticed, we've got a guest with us today. Steve, what's going on, man? Happy to see you, Reed. How's it going? You too. Oh, I'm doing very well. I'm doing very, very well. Um, I'm Um, really excited about this series. I'm excited to be talking about this movie, just all of it. And I have a... I have a brand new pair of headphones for the YouTube listeners. I see that. Yeah. It's really weird for me to try to get used to this. Yes. Um, It's funny you say that because you were you were telling us off pod about the the odd uh, experience of not being able to hear your own self. Is that more or less? It's weird. So uh, recently I'm I'm using these AirPods and and I was using them in the car to to safely have a Mm. phone Mm. conversation with a with a client. Now, typically these people are folks uh often i haven't even met with yet and so i'm using these ear pods for the first time and the experience you just described to me and steve before we started about not being able to hear yourself sure. i was so self-conscious having this conversation with a stranger that every now and then I'd be like can you can hear me okay mr or mrs whoever it was like, can you hear me okay <laughs> and i know they were like okay this guy's weird <laughs> <laughs> can you hear me okay that um, is hysterical but enough of that riri okay we got we got a show to get to today, brother. We do. We do have a show to get to. Do we have any uh, any business other than sort of the series that we're in? Hmm. Why don't we Beckley? remind them about that? Let's do Why that. Why don't we remind them about Beckley, that? So take it away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. saves us? Yeah, sure. Tell, tell them about what saves us. Boy, we just really put you on the spot there. <laughs> well, <You're really> <laughs> <laughs> he's going to give it the old First college. we had track. what scares us. Yes. Yeah. Now it's what saves us. Yes, they don't have to be horror movies. Nope, that's right. Don't have to. So something. How do how do they submit for it, Steve? Oh, get to the website. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Get to the website. Get to the website. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Go to the go to the page for what saves us, and uh, there'll be a form where you can type in there or copy paste from somewhere else as long as you want to make it. uh, Just explaining some piece of media, a movie, or book or comic book tv show if it's within a reasonable length uh yeah <laughs> and uh something that uh gives you hope gives you promise in your life that's, that's good about some of those that's, that's awesome steve great I, job you know, what's funny great is i knew job. you loved improvisation and so <laughs> i just figured this what what better time no actually i hate it I know. I know, but you know what? You oh, were we a trooper. You you did fantastic with that. You well, did. well done. Well, well. So, done. so yes, listener, go to the website, click on the banner above, as Steve referenced, and submit to us what is saving you now. We had some fantastic submissions, um, oh, not absolutely. the least of which is what we're getting to today, and others that I'm excited for, and you, listener, will be excited in due time. Can you only um, submit one or more than one? No, you can submit more than one. And, uh, if you're, if you need help deciding between which one, like if you, what I would recommend is if there are listeners who say like, Hey, I have like two or three that I'm interested in, uh, just include that in your submission. You can say, 
you can either submit more than once, like you can submit one and then submit a separate form for the other one. Um, or in the same one, you can say, hey, I'm trying to decide between this film and this film. And mm-hmm. then we will respond to the email and, and kind of, you know, help talk through that and kind of see where we're at. So, yeah, by all means, don't uh, feel like you're forced into just one thing. Uh, go, uh, we probably will only do uh, one of the selections that you give us, but we are cataloging some of these for future opportunities. Mm-hmm. Maybe a what scares us volume two or what saves us volume two. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds? So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, um, certainly not. In the spirit of that, <laughs> let's uh, let's do a little whatcha. <gasps> Sing it, Stephen. What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? Wow, boy, he is going to so regret being on Here we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he loves it. He loves it. You just got to flex the muscles every now and then, you know, find some new ones. Um, So we are going to uh, uh, get the conversation going with a little bit of what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. Thank you, Island Clan, for taking us in on that. Steve, why not? Do you feel like you got something? Feel like kicking us off with this? Maybe got a few things here. Okay, a few. All right. (laughs) Nice. And you see that it kind of relates to today's content, uh, the the new thing that released on uh, Netflix. And it's kind of cheesy, but uh, I also enjoy watching it. The Top Secret UFO Projects Declassified. No. Ooh, I that is on my radar. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> is but, it uh, like that a is special or like a sh- series? Or? It's like a documentary series. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I don't remember how many episodes, maybe like eight or ten, like the normal amount that usually drop. But uh uh, it's interesting because it goes into like the history of the UFO phenomenon, sightings, and uh, and apparent uh, government cover up. It would kind of show that Fox Mulder would love watching. Or for a super deep X Files cut, Raynard Muldrake. There you go. Oh, yep. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'll just leave that one out there for <laughs> <Okay>. the real fans. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. So you got the UFO show. Yeah. Are you um, enjoying it? Have you finished it? Uh, I can't say if I'm totally enjoying it yet, but it's definitely intriguing. I'll probably watch the next episode at least. Um, but it talks about like these top secret organizations that are, I think are like just now coming to light because some things are becoming declassified. Um, and wow. Some people like a lot of talking heads and some of them advocating that everything become declassified because it's better off for the world if it be known <clears throat> what, like what's been covered up and sure. It, I mean, the, the, I think the driving point or driving consensus of the people talking on the show is that UFOs are real and that uh, mm, mm. Uh, aliens have been trying to make contact with us or and uh, abduct people. Mm. Whoa. Yeah. Wild. Hmm. I feel like you just opened a whole door there. Because <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> you know, wait, wait, wait. I, I, huh? I am really not versed in the uh, UFO lore beyond my primary source of X-Files, but I am, I just wonder like what you just said was the, the, you know, not real secret that they exist, which is a statement. And then you followed it up immediately with the statement and have been trying to abduct people. Like that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, where we... Episode two, uh, Travis Walton was one of the talking heads. Do you, do you know who that is? Reed? I don't. Um, wait a second. That name rings a bell, but I don't, I'm not there was like a context. based on true events, uh, movie in the nineties. Uh, Travis Walton. Uh, is that fire in the sky? Fire in the was sky. That... Yeah. 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 Okay. Ooh, right. I thought I, we were about to play the stumped read. 
jingle. No, 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 no. <laughs> I knew. Oh, read. yeah. We have a stump read jingle if that ever happens. Unless it's a real but, low budget, locally financed movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Fire in the Sky. I saw years ago with DB Sweeney. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember liking it, but uh, yeah, I remember thinking like, wow, this is pretty wild. So that's the Travis Walton. That's who that was yeah, based on. The actual guy showed up in the show. Have um, so I'm going to toss a name out there. You said you have finished the show, or no? I just seen the first two episodes. Has uh, Whitley Strieber or Whitley Strieber? If you, I forget how his last name. Uh, he was another oh. one who popular author who was um who who was basically like he had put out a book i think his most his most popular book about the subject was called communion and it was about alien oh. abduction he was another who had i would be surprised if they made the whole now depends yeah, on what it was i don't filmed, think they've had him on the show I, I've, I've heard of the film and i kind of have that on my watch list it's on amazon now i think yeah, Christopher Walken uh, mm-hmm. starred in it. I remember the movie being pretty effectively creepy. Uh, not something that I would just like, you know, <laughs> run to the to the TV screen. But it's uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm I'm very curious how that show plays out. So yeah, definitely know what. Definitely let us know what you think of it once you finish it. And I, I should. Yeah, be I think some out. people have criticized it as being like something you'd see on uh, Sci-Fi Channel or the History Channel. Uh, like that guy's. I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I understand. I understand. I'm not saying these things are real, but if they are real, this is definitely one. <laughs> so, um, that's your killer clowns reference there. Yeah. Good. Good call. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you, I'm, every now and then. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm proud you. I'm proud yeah, I understood that, that reference. <laughs> I I understood that reference. Um, Steve, you got anything else you want to share? Um, there was a, a movie I saw last week. Uh, that I kind of would recommend. Um, it's a classic or it's from the sixties, 1961 called night tide. Ooh, with that? Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very, very <laughs> <in his career. laughs> it's from uh, Curtis Harrington was the director mm-hmm. and, and uh, he's notable because in that uh, space horror uh, starter list I did for the, mm-hmm. the blog mm-hmm. uh, he, he directed uh, uh, queen of blood which would mm. also had Dennis Hopper in it. Yeah. I think that was a few years later. Um, but night tide is, is about uh, a sailor on shore leave played by Dennis Hopper. And uh, it's in Venice beach, California. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's shot on location. Looked, looked authentic, authentic enough to me. Um, yeah. I think but, that's right. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he's like cruising the town and, and he happens into like a, like a beatnik club one night and he, he meets uh woman that he's really infatuated with and he and he kind of uh starts talking her up and and they sort of are are dating and um she's she always like she seems really mysterious and she's she's working as a uh like a sideshow act on, on the pier um and she says she puts on a costume and and, and looks like a mermaid but as, <laughs> as the movie goes on you don't you don't know whether or not she actually is a real mermaid mm-hmm. there's some, some hints mm-hmm. like she might be descended from the sirens who's part part sea creature yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty neat little flick yeah. i remember uh shutter has had that on their catalog for some time yeah that's and, where I watched uh, it. Yeah. yeah and uh and so i've yeah I, I remember when i first joined actually first joined shutter i think that was one of the first maybe dozen or so movies because i was really into finding old things that i had never heard of and at the time i hadn't heard of that one so yeah it was pretty cool yeah it's got a, it's got a low budget feel to it it seems kind of like carnival of souls Oh, good yeah. shout out. Yeah, that's, I, that's I definitely. Kind of yeah. yeah, I think that's a that's a very comparable vibe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nathan, what about you? What are, what are mm. you watching? What are you reading? 
What are you listening to? Um, it's going to be a hard turn, but oh, on a certain level, may factor into some of the conversation uh, around this film. But okay. um, two independent elements that have some correlation to each other. <clears throat> One, uh, I don't normally reference or it's been a while since I've referenced a podcast, much less highlighted just a single episode. But um, just last week, I listened, if anyone's familiar with Ezra Klein, his show featured uh nehisi Coates and Nicole Hannah-Jones, um, Coates of multiple, you know, kind of pieces of a culture that people might know him from between the world and me, so on and so forth. Uh, we were eight years in power. Um, Nicole Hannah Jones is sadly in, in the, the headlines for reasons that are, are rather um, misconstrued, but she developed the 1619 project. That's getting a lot of heat in the culture wars of America in the moment. But the conversation was incredibly challenging and inspiring. And, uh, the two of them, uh, Nicole Hannah Jones had been invited initially to, uh, UNC Chapel Hill, I believe was denied tenure because of some foo for all about 1619. Uh, when they reoffered it, she said, thank you, but no, thank you. And she and Coates are starting at Howard University, a democracy and journalism, uh, enterprise, uh, that just sounds real fascinating. And so it was, it was a conversation with the two of them, uh, not just about their work, but about, um, some of these cultural moments as well, but it was so interesting listening to them talk and code specific. Uh, yes. Ezra Klein podcast where he featured the two of them as, as guests. <clears throat> and I've been a fan of Coates for a little while now. And, you know, think what you will about the nature of their work. I just found this really, I know the two of you would be sympathetic, but to the listener who might not be, um, I just found this really fascinating. Uh, Klein specifically, strikes up a, a thread of conversation with Coates about uh, y'all might know this, you might not, but Coates in the last few years has written for Marvel comics, uh, not just an extended run on black Panther, but an extended run on captain America as well. And is now has now been hired to write, uh, I presume to potentially move into development uh, a script for an African-American Superman feature. Um, that I, that maybe has Abrams producing anyway. Interesting. Hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure that'll be great with him. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> never fail. Um, wow. but it was so fascinating because Klein was asking him real directly. He said, you know, what has shifted your attention so much to this kind of cultural efforts? Like, like why this versus something more traditional journalism, something in the more traditional journalistic, uh, uh mold. And basically his response was, I love journalism. Uh, I love opening people's minds uh, through the written word. Uh, he said, but what I have begun discovering is if you want to, uh, that, that the imagination is where change lies, potential for mm -hmm. cultural change lies. Mm -hmm. And he says, for better or worse, most adults' imaginations are pretty calcified. And he mm. said, but if I can start speaking to a, a youthful generation's imagination, that's where change can start to happen so that you basically wow. just develop new air 
right? Pump new air into mm-hmm. the culture, which is just amazing. Um, so I would highly encourage people to listen to that conversation, uh, regardless kind of of your feelings, uh, uh, good or ill. It's a, just a really fascinating conversation with very interesting people. But in tandem with that, uh, it's funny, Reed, uh, last week on Moana, I finally got to listen to our Moana conversation today. And on it, I reference um, the book my wife sort of was 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 commenting on to me where she said, you'll you'll love it, but you'll hate it. You know, yeah. but you'll have it, but you'll yeah, hate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I started that book. So, uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, I referenced it to you just in conversation off the program recently, Reed. But it, uh, for listeners, it's called How the Word is Passed. It's by Clint Smith. Clint Smith is a, um, a writer, uh, a poet, something of a historian. And I didn't, I didn't know going into the film Contact how much this kind of idea would would lace itself through what contact is after as well because what clint smith does in this book and i'm not even that deep into it yet is he takes landmarks in the u.s specifically although i think one or two chapters are non-united states based but he's basically trying to identify as the title suggests how is it that mythology and sentiment can overtake empiricism as it were Hmm. specifically the context he's operating under and this is where it's a little volatile depending on a person's persuasion is um uh, the confederate south you know uh uh, the Uh, lost cause uh i forgot forgot to mention too he's also a staff writer for the atlantic but uh specifically the lost cause as a concept and he so like the first chapter uh to to really you know address sacred cows is about Monticello and Thomas Jefferson. And wow, there's okay. this really fascinating whole mid piece where he's talking about Sally Hemings and, and opening up the history of that and the new uh, analysis and criticism. But the fascinating part and why this sort of interlaces with, with contact, but also is just a worthy sort of thing for people to look into is he talks about going on these tours at Monticello and how to their credit, the actual estate, the actual historical enterprise of Monticello is trying to be very truthful as, mm. as new data and new empirical evidence about the life of Jefferson and his relationship to Sally Hemings and just in general as a, as a, a, a slaver uh, have redefined how they present material. And he, mm. Clint Smith, actually shares about talking to these two women who are on one of the tours he went on because, and he is African-American himself. Um, and he approaches these women and just after the tour is asking kind of what, what they learned on this tour, how it affected them. And they were very sober kind of this, and these are middle-aged 50 something women who kind of as a, as a fun thing, like to go to historical sites. And so he's sharing how they were very, mm, you know, sobered by what they learned there, thinking coming into this experience that they were going to learn about Jefferson, the the mythic American figure, instead learned about Jefferson, the real complicated, complex figure and what mm. that does to them. But that's the whole whole thrust of the book is taking these story, taking these sites and identifying how is it that the word continues to get passed about the falseness of our history. And as a last note here, I haven't gotten to this chapter yet, but he references specifically Angola prison. Is anyone familiar with this? 
I was I think I've heard the this. name, but yeah, yeah I, I had heard the name, but knew nothing of it. And he basically said Angola prison is an active prison to this day, primarily uh, uh, housed with African-Americans, but it is geographically situated on a plantation's land. And he said, this mm. would be like going to Germany and, you know, housing some sort of prison on a Nazi site. Like this is how offensive it is to and how how incapable we've become at wrestling with the truth of our past anyway that this this is a long-winded what you're watching or or reading in this case simply to say this is a really worthy book a really worthy conversation worth anyone who is interested in this stuff interested in you know sober conversations about you know the state of our world and its history these are worth checking out so yeah it's uh ezra klein's conversation with Tanahasi Coates and Nicole Hannah Jones and how the word is passed by Clint Smith. All right. What about you, Reed? Okay. Um, okay. So man, I'm so excited to mention this. I honestly wish that we could have, you know, just a separate lengthy conversation uh, about this. So I saw a movie just recently. Some people may have heard about it because I know it's been getting a tremendous amount of buzz. Uh, Actually, uh, I think well-deserved now having seen it. Um, it's a film starring Nicolas Cage, and it is called Pig. And the, in the city? Pig no. In the city? No. Um, so, okay, stop. So, um, so Nicolas Cage starring film about a truffle hunter and his pet pig. And near the beginning of the film, and this is all in the trailer, near the beginning of the film, his pig is uh, kidnapped. And... It is taken presumably by some poachers. And uh, so the film, basically, as much as you probably need to know, is that he then ventures out on a journey to try to find out who took his pig and get his pig back. Now, you would think with a film called Pig starring Nicolas Cage with that premise that it's going to be, oh, this is going to be so bananas and it's going to, you know, oh, my gosh. But uh, imagine this. Imagine that you fundamentally have a very similar concept to like, you know, Taken starring Liam Neeson. And you have a little bit of a flavor of John Wick there because you're dealing with an animal that they love instead of an actual uh, child. Um, And then you take that story and you give it to somebody with the sensibilities of like a Jeff Nichols. You give it to somebody who has an approach to storytelling that's more uh, intimate, thoughtful, perceptive, uh, dealing with rich character dynamics dealing with some remarkable observations about the world and loss and legacy and uh, how we choose to spend our time here. And it is profound and it is moving and it is amazing. (laughs) And Nicolas Cage, who is somebody that I have grown more fond of just for how absolutely bananas he can get, gives this truly remarkable very, very understated, very intimate and, and inner sort of life kind of performance. That is, I, it would not surprise me to see him get some Oscar buzz. And I'm not, I know that gets thrown around a lot with like big performances. It would, he's a, he's people sometimes forget that for leaving Las Vegas, he is an Oscar winner. So it would not surprise me that, um, he might, you know, get a little bit of critical acclaim. It is nearly universally praised. And so I did the thing where, uh, I rarely take this 
big of a plunge, but it was so universally praised. I was so kind of intrigued by the concept and by everything about it. I was like, I'm just going to blind purchase it. It was available digitally. And I was like, I'm just going to blind buy it. I know I'm taking a big risk or whatever that I might not enjoy it. I am so glad. I'm probably going to rewatch this film a dozen times. Like I, It's a tight 90 minutes. Um, it is lovely and wonderful, and I cannot praise it enough. I was, bl- I was blown away by this film. I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So any listeners out there, if you've seen Pig, please message us. I want to talk about this with people who have seen it because it it's really remarkable. Yeah. Theoretically, he, he could at least get nominated and perhaps if he wins – you know, for the second time, bring home the bacon. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. Is yeah. it playing in theaters too? It is still, yeah. I think it is still playing in theaters, <laughs> but one of the biggest hurdles that I had <laughs> is the closest, uh, oh, you, you're oh, so in I'm, love with your own jokes. Yeah, no, well, yeah, right. no, I'm trying to move on, but I'm such a ham. It just, it's hard to let go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Listen, Nathan, that's all folks. Okay. So, um, <laughs> So um, it is still playing in theaters, but the challenge that I had is I think it's more independent theaters. Yeah. Like I wanted to go see it in the movie theater, but the closest one that was playing it to me, and I live in Cal- California, I live in like, yeah. near LA, but the closest one was like 35 miles away that was oh, actually wow. playing it. So and who's like, going to okay, hoof it that far? Well, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> These are... Boy. I'm not surprised Nick Cage can give a great performance like that, but it, I'm reading right now that that's that director's debut. That is, yeah, that stunned me. That yeah. stunned me. It's it's a debut film that is so confident, so assured. It knows when to pivot away from. So there's there's so much. It's one of those things where on the if you just laid out the plot of the movie, and I've spoiled very little. In fact, I haven't referenced anything that the trailers didn't give away. Um, if you just laid out the plot of the movie, it would be like half a page of just what happens, but it's what happens like in between the spaces and what they do with the characters and the observations and the things people say and what, what they have the boldness and audacity to actually like tackle as a subject. And it is, again, it is such a confident and assured picture. Um, it, I would even go so far as to say, I would call it special. Like, I just I I was really taken with it. I was I was completely um, captivated by it. I think I think it's wonderful. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, pig, 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 everybody, that'll do. Take us out, (laughs) islands. What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? All right, so uh, we're going to leave behind all of the, uh, you know, all of all of the pork jokes. We're going to leave behind <laughs> all of the, uh, and we're going to go to our installment today of hashtag What Saves Us, our second in this series, presented to us, submitted to us by none other than our guest today, Steve Beckley, um, who fans and foggers and listeners of the show are, are well acquainted with by now. Um, Steve, I'm actually going to uh, yield the floor to you. This is a film directed by Bob Zemeckis of Back to the Future fame and Forrest Gump fame. Uh, it's from 1997, right? I believe. Right. Yep. Um, so I'm going to, I'm just going to basically going to pass the baton to you to tell us uh, in, in your own words, however you'd like to, what your, uh, what your reason was for uh, inviting us to talk about this in the context of hashtag what saves us, if you will. So take it away, Steve. Yeah. I'm just going to read what I wrote, what I submitted. So it sounds like I'm sure. reading. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I've never assumed that uh, whichever 
religious denomination I'm attached to at any moment in my life is right and all others are wrong. I don't think any structure, any group of humans could set up, could possibly collectively hear God perfectly. Um, in fact, I'm sure there are many things about church systems that a monotheistic God would shake his head about. I'm certain that as far as confidence of my belief in God and the confidence in my Christian religion, there is a spectrum or a sliding scale that I'm always moving along. I have a lot of history and family heritage with the scientific way of thinking. As family goes, I'm probably the most believing of anyone in either my childhood or childhood family or my current household family. Uh, but there is some percentage of me that is always a little bit agnostic, um, but it never wins out at the end of the day. But that allows me to have easier conversations with non-believers and folks of much different faiths. And gasp, there are many in my life. Uh, the movie Contact, uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, based on a book by Carl Sagan, has always resonated with me ever since I saw it in the theater upon its release in the summer of 1997. Uh, for one, it is big budget science fiction, but it has a lot of heart in its story of a protagonist played by Jodie Foster, who is driven by wonder and science. Her scientific mind was instilled by her, instilled in her by her father, who she lost at a young age. And here I'm speaking of her character in the movie, uh, Ellie Arroway. She has a need for proof one way or the other of the existence of extraterrestrial life. And this is her chosen field of study. Butting heads with her are the bureaucrats who see her quest as a waste of time and money and the religious fanatics and the theologians who see it as dangerous or not something that a scientist without religious belief should have much, much say about. I find the journey in the film very compelling. It poses what if humanity received contact from an intelligence from outer space? How realistically would the world react? What would be the closed door conversations at the highest level of government and influence on the matter? The climax and the denouement of the film turn this idea on its head regarding the nature of these aliens, which I think could lead to some interesting conversation. But overall, the story is a, re a reconciliation of the faithful and the scientific agnostic ways of thinking and how the spectrum of belief will always exist in society. But that can't stop us from trying to live and work together in harmony. And that gives me hope. That's really lovely, Steve. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny. I, I resonate. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of lead with this kind of in response. I, I believe just sort of taking my first pass across the bow that I resonate significantly more with what this film is interested in and what it's trying to say than ultimately what it uh, kind of lands on. I feel like there's times where, just in the direction, uh, I feel like it um, approaches the subject with like maybe some too broad characterizations. Sometimes, like uh, I'll, I'll point to James Wood's character, who's a little too mustache twirly villain uh, for for my sentiments. Um, but I am really, really interested in what this film and in what presumably Carl Sagan's book is interested in. Um, I think there's often been this antagonism between scientific thought and scientific process and religious thought and religious process. And for me as an individual, that has never made much sense to me. It's never made a lot of sense to me that those two things would be 
so in conflict with one another that like, okay, well, I, I think part of it comes down to people who believe like, okay, well, if, if the scientific definition of certain things are true, then that means that these religious texts over here and how they describe what happened cannot simultaneously be true. And if you uh, remove, you know, the, from the Bible, if you remove this one piece of the puzzle and say, well, it didn't happen that way, uh, then they view it as basically like a Jenga puzzle and that it's all going to come tumbling down. And then, well, the Bible's useless because you've pulled out this one block. And so, and so that creates this antagonism where there's a tremendous amount of resistance against what science has discovered that I don't think, again, not to, not, not to just beat the point into submission. I, I don't think that's necessarily something that has to be in conflict with each other. I think I've shared before on the pod that, you know, my faith is of the degree that it actually opens my prospects to wonder and to possibility. Um, I find some of the scenes in this movie where they talk about the, there are lines that I'm sure we'll get to when we get into more specifics. There are lines they say that I'm just like, man, I find it very moving, like deeply moving as a, a prospect and a possibility of like, wow, how, how amazing and wondrous, none of which would upend almost any of my relationship with God or how I even navigate my faith on a day to day basis. Hopefully that make, is making some sense, mm -hmm. but, um, but Nathan, this was now I had seen it before. I had seen it at least once before. This was either my second or third time seeing it. Um, this was your first time seeing it. What was your general sort of response reaction to, to contact? It was my first time seeing it. And I finished it about three hours ago. Mm. Mm. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, just due to some scheduling elements of life. I had to, uh, uh, shunt it today. Three hours. Is that right? It no, is. It is. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it, it is just one of those that for whatever reason I had never been prioritized for me. And, and I, I missed, the first go round. Uh, but I was so, uh, taken Steve with your, your thoughtfulness in your submission. I think the final analysis, I would, I would echo a bit of what Reed has said, uh, intrigued by what they're after occasionally, you know, eyebrow raising of, of how they get there. But I do think, I don't know. I just love, and, and, and it's interesting that this is not a thing that has really come up on the fear of God before which is a real direct conversation of the science v faith mm, mm. idea. Mm. And, <clears throat> and it was funny because Steve, as I even alluded to earlier, I know your, your lost fandom. And it was funny watching this, knowing that it was your submission and, and specifically it had some resonance for you in a, in a particular way. I was like, huh, this man of science, man of faith stuff going yeah. on here with all <laughs> you know, little John Locke, little Jack Shepard. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think there are things to like about it. I think, you know, it, it, it will prove a uh, fertile ground for conversation. Um, and I'm just kind of interested to see where that goes. Do, Reed, is there, um, I, I'm tempted to, to, walk us into that's so right because part i of me, have the same temptation okay yeah. okay because i'm actually withholding something <laughs> uh real specific from that so that's so right it's just so right it's just so right that's just so right it's just so right 
Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, as we are doing uh, with what saves us, uh, pivoting a bit, although as and if we uh, feel so inclined, because it's our show, we'll do, we'll do what we want. You know, we'll do some that ain't right. We'll do some that's so right. Right now we're doing some that's so right. Although I've got an honorable mention for that ain't right. But um, I, I want you to speak, Beckley. But the thing I was withholding that that matters uh, and and I would list at the top of my that's so right is the mere fact of this movie's willingness to have the conversation like that Hmm. was what i was so because to be quite frank you know the first hour i was like okay this is following a real kind of you know traditional trajectory in terms of a narrative plot but but the further the film went the more just kind of i don't know uh, uh, impressed might be the wrong word but just kind of intrigued um appreciative that Hmm it was willing to wrestle so openly with these ideas. Now I've never read Sagan's book. Um, I've got minimal knowledge as far as that goes. Um, but it feels like the movie in its way is trying to, I think very appropriately serve both concepts. And that is a, that is a thing we've never been real comfortable with in a, in a broad way. And so right, to me, right. and, and it's your, it's your topic, Steve. So apologies for, for, you know, stepping in front of the queue there to offer that. But it, I was, as I was trying to assess my response to the movie, I was like, I'm, I'm finding myself withholding this information. But to me, the, that's so right list topper is simply the willingness on a big budget film to wrestle openly with faith versus science. And I found that really, I really appreciated that about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that might even come, from from the source material, from the the origin being from Carl Sagan, he he was of course a renowned scientist, um, and people <clears> often <throat> in interviews asked him if he believed in God, and he had a long answer to that, usually saying that uh, uh, he doesn't believe in like the the personified God that that a lot of religions believe in, but he sort of believes in a God that is um, sort of the sum of all scientific law. And that's God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He basically, yeah, he had basically at the risk of being terribly reductive to a profoundly brilliant mind um, and the way he articulated it, which those are, those quotes are all, you know, a Google search away yeah. uh, for Carl Sagan's actual words. But um, yeah, he basically is talking about, yeah, uh, from his perspective, the anthropomorphic Judeo-Christian God, uh, that, that is a, uh, something that he did not subscribe to. But he said, then you look at like, okay, well, the law of gravity and the, the laws of physics and how this all functions structurally and how it all holds together. And you kind of can't deny that. And so that has to be, you know, fit and fashioned together. I don't think he would ever ascribe that, like, you know, it's, it's fit and fashioned mm-hmm. together by, you know, some people call it like a prime mover or something like that. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but he was basically like, yeah, how do you worship the law of gravity? I think was one of his, you know, uh, right. one of, so, one of the things that I thought were interesting. So the way that Ali Arroway answered the question in, in the movie, when she was being interviewed by the panel, it, it wasn't the same way that Carl Sagan would have answered the question. <laughs> right. Right. He might, he might not have just outright said like, I already answered your question or I don't believe in God, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Steve, Steve, what would you identify for you as a, as sort of a, that's so right element to the film? Hmm. Um, I think uh, the, the, my first, the uh, first thing that comes to mind is actually the, the first, uh, shot of the movie, the, uh, the opening zoom out, mm. the opening. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right after the title, sequence. 
and you know, depending on how you have their volume set on your TV, it might blast you out of your seat. Because oh, like, trust me, my dog was very <laughs> unsure about that loudness that happened. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it sort of like blasts you at top volume, and then just sort of fades out away, it zooms out away from Earth into the farthest reaches of the galaxy. But but I guess it's only maybe 30 percent of the way out, or maybe even twenty percent mm-hmm. is when the sound really cuts out, and you don't really hear. It's like it's it's the trans radio transmissions coming from Earth. And then back through history. So you, you hear it getting further and further back through the 20th century. And mm-hmm. then, then before, before anything was transmitted through any, before any radio signals, it just goes silent and you hear sort of like some space wind, even though that doesn't exist, but. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, and in that whole uh, little collection, I took note of the fact that is included the, uh, the speech from the opening of every episode of the show, where he says that it's a, uh, Roosevelt speech. She says the only thing oh, yeah. we have to fear is fear itself. <laughs> it's included in those little snippet collections. Yep, exactly. Uh, no, that's very worthy. Um, <clears throat> I have a moment that I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna call it a that's so right because I think there's actually some uh, some things that just uh, kind of move me emotionally about it that I maybe want to unpack in further things later. But I think what I'll top the list, maybe a little bit more superficial, a little bit trivial. Um, it's this delightful moment when um, they have built the device, or at least they are, you know, they're, they're close to everything. And uh, the Vagan signal has been, oh, it's, I think it's before they've built the device, but the Vagan signal is together and people have gathered from everywhere. And mm-hmm. they are all sort of aligned in their little groups in accordance with kind of how they're preparing for it. And over top of it, is uh, the familiar refrain of a, of a song you don't hear very often. Uh, it was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. And my <laughs> wife and I just cackled out loud when we heard that song. Uh, so that is a very superficial thing. But I was like, that, that, is, that is so right. That, that is one of the songs that uh, would be playing over top of this big gathering of people who have come, including uh, <laughs> uh, Elvis with his Viva Las Vegas. Uh, yeah. And then uh, they're, they're singing... Uh, like to the hallelujah chorus, they're singing, you know, re- different words in the Vega sort of cantation. Um, and then, yeah, one eyed, one horned, flying purple people eater. So the masses of just regular people that just flock. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a montage, even maybe even similar to the opening zoom out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, way. exactly. So super, to, um, super silly, but yeah, yeah. no, no, it, it's, it's worthy. That's right. Reed. That is <laughs> it's, so right. It's so flying right. purple people eater. Um, Um, uh, before perhaps a wisecrack um, I did want because it's been referenced in this segment to to nod to the scene with Ellie on the stand Um, Mm. you know this movie on a certain levels you know uh, uh, reach perhaps exceeds its grasp but there is some wisdom in giving us this through line of McConaughey and Jodie Foster's relationship. And that becomes kind of this way to ground us to, to keep us somewhat on the ground in terms of comprehending what's going on and, and the dynamic of the ideas at play. And so when that scene happens and you know, there's affection between these characters, it's pretty, um, mature affection which i appreciated in a general sense uh although my wisecrack may undercut that um i just really loved that scene because it um for me it was one of this one of 
not very many scenes that I really felt the the weight of what just happened, which is McConaughey after the dynamic their relationship has had up to that point, which is very uh, yeah. uh, friendly and respectful and uh, uh, again, mature out of not just his own sort of perhaps philosophical notions, but also out of fear for her safety kind of pins her in this rhetorical trap kind of knowingly. And, and I, I don't know when it, when he asked it, I just felt it in a way that I was not expecting. I was like, man, that sucks. Cause yeah. you just know she's not going to be able to take the bait, you know, on a character level, she's going to feel his betrayal on a certain right. level. Um, I don't know. I just really loved the, the kind of character work that scene represented. Yeah. I really like before, <clears throat> before we move on from yeah. that. So, right. Just to, I, in general, I, I don't think that they give him all of the greatest lines of dialogue, but in general, I really like McConaughey's character in this because it is super easy for people of faith to be just sort of reduced to automatons that regurgitate all of their the Rob Lowe. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. basically, fundamentally, yes, that Rob Lowe in this film for like a minute and a half with a really weird accent. Yo, going on it was bad. So, yeah. um, but that is uh, McConaughey's character again. I'll hang a lantern on the fact that he they don't always give him the most, you know, uh, flashy uh, lines of dialogue. It's a lot of direct speech. Um, but I really like his character. His character genuinely cares. He's perceptive. He's observant. Um, you, you mentioned he's mature. Their relationship is mature. But um, he's a real person. I wouldn't necessarily call him from a film standpoint that he's very three-dimensional. But he feels real. He feels like somebody who really lives and breathes the faith that he expresses. And that I, I love little things. And some of this may be Zemeckis' direction. Some of it may be McConaughey's choice as an actor. But I love that when she's challenging him, he doesn't feel decept he doesn't feel like defensive. He his mm -hmm. reaction and response to her is very sort of like, hmm, like almost like he's curious. And and then even when he sort of barbs back, with exception to, you know, the scene that you mentioned, which is very much of a, a sort of a fraught scene for them and for the narrative. But in their other moments where they're just quietly sort of sharing conversation, um, he feels like I wrote down that he feels like the question, the constant question that can't be easily dismissed. It's not necessarily, you know, aggressive and poking at you all the time. It's just the one question you can't quite dismiss. And that's the way McConaughey's character feels to me. And I like him for that. I like his presence in the film for that. Yeah, I actually had as, as an alternate what saves us as uh, not specifically his character, but the, just the way their conversations between the two of them were written. I think mm, they're, they're very mm. quotable, very interesting to, to dissect. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you, you, and we can, we can hang out here as long as we want to just go where the conversation leads. But while I didn't have this phrase written in my that's so right section, uh, you are discussing it very openly. So I'll, I'll just put a fine point on it. I think this film illustrates why Matthew McConaughey has lasted as a performer. I mean, he mm. is mm. those, I would, I would personally, uh, you you asked the question, Reed Zemeckis or or McConaughey in terms of some of the choices that are made. I would say largely, if it's Zemeckis, McConaughey delivers it with with skill. I mean, there mm -hmm. are moments because, like you said, the script is not super nuanced. What he yeah. does, not just with the words, but with the quiet moments too. You're like that right. is a performer who is 
occupying an interior life and and letting right. me in on on what that interior life is is telling him and and that was yes. really it was really powerful to watch and and now jody jody foster's fantastic and, and zero oh, taking absolutely. Away from her but there were sure. specific moments where i was like man he is that's why he you know went on to to do all that he's done such as yeah, the, dark, the dark tower um <laughs> and down we go <laughs> Yeah, fallen, uh, the pod has fallen and just dropped yeah. through the rings. Yes, to the yes. Well, I'm about, to, I'm about to do it again for us. So, um, uh, on our way out of that, so right, I, I, I couldn't let it by to to have a that ain't right moment as well because oh you know we, we like science and faith, we are a mixture of many things. You know, we we are not <laughs> all one thing. But let me tell you, there are a few things more that ain't right than those awkward lovemaking moments like trying to enjoy some afterglow and your partner post coitus picks up a photo of you and your dad <laughs> and starts like asking and you, you know you are both uh, uh, seemingly nude and sort of having right. enjoyed this time together and he's like no oh, tell me about your pops your like, dad that's this uh -oh. guy right <laughs> no this, this just took a weird you know, turn. No wonder here, she so. ain't call you for four years, man. Like, what do you think? <laughs> like, he left your number. Like, please call me. Totally. Like, she's like, no, I don't want to talk about my father anymore. Like, Sully the moment. It. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had to work to get that back. Uh, well, that has been another installment of. That's just so right. All right. That is so right. All right. All right. <laughs> there you great. go Beckley um, I do want to mention because <laughs> I have a feeling that this um, conversation could go to some some rich and 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 perhaps lovely and meaningful places so I just want to mention in in this in the silly space of thing good old uh, from uh, uh, most recently discussed Stranger Things 3 good no. old Jake Busey uh, he is terrible another, he is is that your that ain't right uh, maybe that's Nathan? maybe uh, no 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 <laughs> It's in anything, like, in anything. He's, he is just, uh, he is creepy as crap. You want to you know where he was at that point in his career? Was, I think it was the year after he was in the Frighteners as a real villainous character there. Oh, that's right. That's and right. And he was super monstrous. I think this, the same year as uh, Starship Troopers, he was a supporting character. There. Oh my gosh. So yeah, he's just, uh, he's got an unfortunately villainous and, and sinister look to him. Um, but boy, I, you know what, Nathan, you what? said this earlier. Tell me what I say. I will. I Something will. Profound. Well, uh, it's it's solidifying for me in the moment. I said giving lip service to maybe it was Zemeckis, maybe it was um, McConaughey. No, it was McConaughey because yes. you look at the other performances. Yes, and you can see how yes. over the top they are. You got Jake Busey. You got James Woods. Even Angela Bassett, who is a titan of acting prowess, is still playing the moments very sort of like big and and broad sort of things and yeah. uh How about bill clinton yeah bill clinton man. like where's that guy come from like speaking of sexy saxophone players um <laughs> well i don't want to wander too far from this because you're absolutely right reed that i am right about mcconaughey but uh through your astute note about the supporting players because dead gum man that i one just i just he i'm god loves him you know <laughs> Uh, uh, the God of Carl Sagan and the God of Judeo Christianity loves Jake Busey, but damn, I do not like seeing that man on screen. Uh, and in fact, that final scene of his before the bomb, and he oh does gosh. this like 
you know, you oh, where he sneers for the camera. YouTube. He sneers <laughs> yeah. as he's turning about. I was like, I wanted to pause and be like, no, get him out of here. <laughs> Recast, reshoot. Oh, Someone that should not have stayed in. I mean, come on. Between him and James Woods, who, if you know anything about modern day James Woods, he's just as big an a hole in life as he is in this movie. <laughs> like those two dudes. And yeah, I like Rob Lowe, but who? D- he oh, was yeah. like, yeah, he was man. like a frog brother up in here. Like, who told you to do that? Like, why did that? Uh-uh. No, well, <laughs> yeah, it must have been. Must have been. It, that was know. really weird. Jodie Foster is doing great work. McConaughey is clearly doing great work. I actually really like uh, uh, Tom Skerritt. I like I, I think sure. yeah. there's a couple of character beats that are maybe too predictable. But I think as a performance, Tom Skerritt is doing a really nice job. Uh, but aside from those three performances, it's hard to it's hard to like a lot in here. David Morse is really not in it long enough to care one way or another, you know? Um, but Bless his uh, heart. yeah, oh. he, was, he was well cast. I liked him. Yeah. yeah I do think he sits, he fits if the role. Well. Vanilla white guy, <laughs> middle-aged white guy, David Morse is your man. Who somebody, somebody get David Morse on the might phone. be Maybe a villain. Know. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I guess he was well cast. Wasn't he in farts in Atlantis? Too? Oh yes, he oh. was brother. And that <laughs> is was. on my notes. Farts in Atlantis. <laughs> There's a lot of crossover here. I love you. Steve and you Beckley. mentioned uh, Scarrett. There's another yeah. alien alumni too, right? John. Hurt. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's, that's right. Our, John Hurt. Teacher John. Jeff Bezos, right? That's very <laughs> trippy, man. Like, like how how you how you gonna have like that much money? And then you look around at like 2021, and you're like, oh yeah, some people have that much money. That's, oh, like, that's I know, painful. I know, that's so depressing. Um, so that's okay. a lot of. Do you, do you mind if we because because this movie is like we're gonna we're gonna uh, I don't know fall off the cliff of theme here any second, and so uh, it I'm feels sure. it feels like time to just to uh, uh, regress a little bit in our format instead of uh, uh, deep questions, which are, are looming right at us to do what we're doing right now, which is just going through the punch list of <laughs> the things in the film that, you know, we like, don't like trivial bits or traditional like sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Any, any, any or all of that kind of stuff. Yes. Go ahead. You mentioned, yeah. Oh, Bill Clinton. <laughs> I don't know if y'all <laughs> saw this. You probably did, but even watching, I was like, how do they do that? <laughs> you know, I know Forrest Gump. Uh, that was 94, 95. That was 94. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Forrest Gump had already played fast and loose with Kennedy and several other historical figures. Um, so I was like, did he, did he do some of this? It is funny watching contact and knowing it's Zemeckis. Like there's some weird Jenna Malone face swapping that felt like the uncanny Valley of his future animation oh, work. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Clinton stuff specifically, like, how did they do this? And sure <laughs> enough, the note I read uh, was Zemeckis had initially approached Sidney Poitier to play the president, uh, but he had to turn it down for some other work. Zemeckis saw shortly after that a NASA announcement in August of 96. And the quote, at least that IMDb has from Zemeckis is Clinton gave his Mars rock speech. And I swear to God, it was like it was scripted for this movie. When he <laughs> said the line, we will continue to listen closely to what it has to say. I almost died. I stood there with my mouth hanging open. And I was like, wow, because watching it, I was like, they, this is impressively on point dialogue. But right. Where right, is right, this right. from? And so it was really funny to see. Yeah, that's sort of the similar technology they used in Forrest Gump to uh Mm-hmm. Take a person or take a take a background and put it put the new actor in front of it within it. Yeah, it's digital compositing. Compositing has been a part of film for you know decades and decades since mm-hmm. the nearly early inception. 
Um, but this, this ability to digitally composite to where the images are, you know, moving in tandem and interacting with one another, it's, it, it's advanced yes, tremendously. But the only real scene to my memory, and, and I just finished this three hours ago, so the memory is not that bad, but there's only one real shot of Clinton amidst other performers and that's at the uh, sort of war room roundtable kind of thing. Right. But where Scarlett's sitting next to him. Yes, mm -hmm. that speech is actual uh, that's footage. Uh, press conference footage. Yeah. You know, it's from that Mars uh, meteor that landed in, in Antarctica, I think. To, yes. Uh, oh, and and Beckley, you mentioned farts in Atlantis. Oh, Jenna Malone was in Donnie Darko, so another little uh, crossover there, oh, which you were also on. It's look great. at that! <laughs> wow, this is like so, oh, yeah. all of the things are just blending around. It's great. It's so great. This might have been her film debut, or really, or at least really early. Her yeah, film. she's very young she's in good this. Good actress. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So are we? Uh, so I will say one more thing that I was just like, like that is, um, in general, I like this script. Um, but there are some lines, particularly the ones that come out of James Woods's mouth. If it hit, if it isn't clear to listeners yet, I do not like James Woods in this movie. Like, I think his character is far too overwrought. I feel like he is, uh, just, there is no dimension to him whatsoever. He is just, ah, oh, these aliens are going to come and they're going to blow us away and we need to arm ourselves. Say, you know, like he's just got this whole gangster vibe going on. And, uh, and then at the end, when he's heading up the committee, it is so, profoundly reductive in all of the ways that he's like grilling Ellie with everything. And then him standing up and emphatically, I was like, this is such a manufactured moment, you know, like, thank God. And I say this very sincerely, thank God for Jodie Foster's sort of lived in moment because her speech, her response to him, I find very moving. Like, even though the scripting I'll admit is a bit clunky and sort of broad, her embodying of it, feels really quite touching um coming on the heels of james wood like practically like standing up and slapping his have wrist on the thing they must have written his character that way just so they could get someone to to uh to yell at her and ask those uh questions <laughs> in that way that would get her an emotional enough response but i mean maybe you know what's maybe. funny about your your james woods note here because i utterly share it so mm -hmm. i entered the movie not knowing he's in it uh, I am an active unfan of his in, yeah. in the real. Um, and so the minute he shows, like, oh, and then you have Busey to the mix, like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, but so the first run with Woods when he's in the lab, you know, and, and, mm. and the mm. kind of armed guard is there and she asks him to leave. My hackles are up, you know, and, um, well, then he kind of cools off a little bit and, and about halfway through the movie in my head, sort of subconsciously i'm like maybe i gave him you know maybe, maybe i'm just having art i'm sorry <laughs> life affect my art take in right now but then it gets to the end i was like nah he's nah. A yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, not, it's not just him but there's like multiple like uh male uh, authority characters that are just continuously oh missing uh ellie arroway and yeah. message yeah. Uh, oh, well, that moment and like, I actually think the moment is done very effectively. But again, it, it it's a bit broad. It's a bit on the nose when she's there and Angela Bassett as the White House press secretary is standing up and is getting ready to sort of announce uh, who's going to come and explain everything. And uh, I didn't remember this moment, uh, but it, it, it did sort of punch me in the gut where she's um, shuffling through some note cards, sort of refreshing herself with her speech and what she's going to say. She gets to the other side of the monitor, fully expecting to be called uh, to the stage as the head of this project. And then they call up Drumlin 
And I was like, oh my gosh, like they are hammering home how she as the female presence in the room is continually being subverted and continually being like pushed down for the sake of the people who really want to take the credit for these kind of things and who really want to. And that is an interesting contrast, um, even though his presence in the narrative gets leveraged against Ellie at the end. It is interesting to me that Haddon like chose, chooses her and continually sort of elevates her role. Yeah. Like Haddon's an interesting character in that sense that he is constantly identifying her and saying, you go do this. I'm going to give you the primer. I'm going to send you to space. I've built a second one in secret so that this could happen. You know, it's uh, that is kind of kind of it, interesting. it's interesting that uh, Jodie Foster is, is cast in the role because it wasn't. Too many years before, she was in Silence of the Lambs, and mm-hmm. it was like a similar mm-hmm. theme that you guys brought up on the episode that, that you guys did yeah. uh, feminism yeah. in that. Um, Absolutely. And you had yeah. her talking to uh, to Hannibal Lecter in that, and he sort of psychoanalyzes her, talks about her history, and then Hatton mm-hmm. did the same thing with her scene in this. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, is there anything else more in the like shallows? The shallow yeah. la 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 la? Yeah, I just wanted to bring up that uh, the the uh, the composer of the music for the movie is Alan Silvestri, and he mm. he often works with uh, Robert Zemeckis. Uh, yep. He did more, Gump. More recently in his career, he's worked in the MCU. He did Infinity War and Endgame, and oh, mm, that's right, right behind that's Nathan right. there. And, yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, and he did Captain America: The First Avenger and uh, and the Avengers. And in, yeah. well, and in this movie, Ellie goes through the quantum realm. So you know, you got oh, that. Yeah, it's it's all of that. <laughs> goes through a portal, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, and actually sometimes when you, you can you can listen to the scores like well, this was like 20 25 years ago does this sound anything like what he's done recently i thought the scene where she's um when she first hears the signal and she's running back into the, the center where, where her mm. uh colleagues are i thought that sounded like forge from infinity war right before thor arrives on the at wakanda oh mm. very nice very very nice that's cool yeah, um, it's the same Reed, composer, you, so it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> you, you referenced this, but speaking of um, big budget franchise IP, um, I felt like I got the Chewbacca faint, uh, like we got in Rise of Skywalker, which yes is two knocks against Rise of Skywalker in one conversation, but because <laughs> initially I was really like jaw dropped when the facility explodes when Busey does oh, when when Busey yes. Busey's, mm-hmm. and I yes. was like. I didn't see that coming. Um, <laughs> and I was really like invested, reinvested like, wow. Oh yeah. Wow. This mm. is a, this is a lot of effects budget for, for that to happen. You know, yeah, like I, course, cause I've never seen the movie, have no idea where this narrative is going. And then it's, <laughs> then you've got, you know, the, the mad billionaire floating in his beaker in space being like, by the way, there's another one. Like, what uh, whatever okay you know <laughs> it's like That's literally so funny we built another mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. chewbacca faint is a reference to the fact that in rise of skywalker chewbacca quote-unquote dies and everyone in the movie theater is like <gasps> Chewie! and then yeah. within like two minutes it's like oh you, you really you you you, you didn't do it you pulled yeah they did they yeah they didn't hold any length of no. time they were like no no no, no everybody tension, is no. Okay. don't worry everyone yeah <laughs> there are no stakes here 
<laughs> don't worry lest you be confused <laughs> i love that it's <laughs> we're it's, not it's doing like, anything <laughs> uh, yeah that film is like uh somebody constantly sitting in the seat next to you like no no no, it's really okay he doesn't die <laughs> like and then it's like every every two minutes it's really fine it's like, no they're gonna find it you'll, you'll it's, see it's okay so tom scarrett and john Hurt both die and not by alien no that's true <laughs> that is true not by, not by alien not by alien um so uh Something that at times it's funny when I have thought about this moment, I've had a range of responses. Sometimes I'm able to just think about it and be like, Oh, that's that, that was a really, um, that was a really lovely moment. And then there's other times where I actually got, uh, surprisingly emotional. I think, I think I'm, uh, got a handle on my emotions to talk about it this time, but there was a moment in this, in this movie that really it's not connected specifically to anything that might branch out into theme or anything, but it, really got to me um and i did not expect it and that is when she is in the pod she is fastened in the seat control is continuing to sort of check the boxes check the percentages check everything and she is repeating Mm -hmm. i'm okay to go i'm okay to go and initially the scene was a little bit like, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, it was. It, I was watching a scene, but the longer it went, and a lot of this is Foster's performance. Sure. But the longer it went, and suddenly you feel the emotion that she's giving, and the effort it is taking her to continue to repeat, "I'm okay to go. I'm okay to go," and her voice starts breaking, and she's looking around and she's watching the sphere she's in change, and it becomes translucent and She's not exactly certain what's going to happen because nobody knows what's about to happen. So all of that is, is swirling around her and she continues. I'm okay to go. I'm okay to go. I'm okay to go. Good Lord. I don't even have the words to describe the emotional journey I went on just in hearing her complete that refrain after all of this time, all of this buildup, all of this character's subversion. And there's a lot of more, perhaps, uh, broader resonance that I don't necessarily want to get into simply because I can't articulate them well. Maybe that will come through the course of the conversation. But there was something truly moving to me about that moment. She is on the precipice of something that no human being has ever experienced in this story. Literally no context whatsoever for what is about to happen to her. It could be profound pain it could be uh bliss it could be um you know uh, it, it could be straining it could be you know liquefying of her consciousness an yeah. annihilation it could be everything it's, and she's still i'm okay to go i'm okay to go i'm okay to go. i just i found that incredibly moving so we don't yeah. have to spend much time here but what you were just saying reminds me of and i'm sure the two of you Beckley, was it you? I think it was Dave Courtney uh, a couple months ago posted the article about the black hole. Do you mm, remember this? Mm, mm, and mm-hmm. it was like assessing what really happens on in relation to a black hole. And and, uh, and now I've utterly failed in trying to extrapolate it. But you just reminded me of that. Of there's just this multiple iterations of experience there. Yeah, it wasn't me, um, but it might have been Dave in response on the on the. I've been horizon because yeah, it was related to event horizon. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's, yep, that's, that's why right. you're entering my brain Beckley. Cause you just never leave it. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. That's a really powerful sort of scene. And, and 
it's it's so funny Reed. you 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 kind of gave words to what was subconsciously materializing for me of of the performances and people who know what they're doing and mm. which is funny because i actually like rob lowe I'm, I'm not knocking him but he really does not sure, sure he really delivers a cartoon in this film and he you know he's got two minutes of screen time so there's not much to work with mm. but something that's kind of coming to me i didn't have this written down and and it may be a short-lived detour but for the two of you specifically because we recurringly now are having these intergalactic based conversations uh, uh on the show here so one partly because of mcconaughey's presence partly because the film very much flirts with the same ideas i couldn't help but think of chris nolan's interstellar watching this and now i've only seen interstellar it's, I saw it in theater. I may have seen it more than once, but it hasn't. It's been since then. But if you recall, in this, McConaughey effectively articulates to her pre-launch what the film Interstellar is all about, which is the time differential that the person experiencing this thing will will undergo versus those who stay behind. So I was right. kind of prepping because I had no idea where this movie ends, and all I know is Sagan's general influence from uh, the scientific community standpoint, I, I didn't know where the film would go, where contact mm. would go. Ends up being and, totally wrong. It's, it's instantaneous and she goes back. So. <laughs> well, well right, there's yeah. that. Sure. But that's, you're kind of tiptoeing up, to, up yeah. to what I'm kind of curious about here, which is, and maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's just a flight of fancy thought I'm having in the moment, but is there a world where the film kind of pulls a punch on what it seems to be after? In other words, I would have thought that what very little I know of Carl Sagan, uh, that this film would be much more would land much less empathetic to a faith conversation, an openness to faith conversation versus I don't mean it would be antagonistic. I just mean the the film we get in contact ends almost more pro faith. Mm-hmm. then pro science which don't hear me say the movie is anti-science it's absolutely not right. but the message of the film is you can believe in things you can't touch taste feel or hear mm-hmm. or see mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like that is the message of the film and it's it's a message that is surprising to me for what little i knew and so i'm curious from y'all you know as you've sort of rewatched it and and beckley you haven't referenced uh so feel free to you know is this have you seen this multiple times over the years or was it just a message that that lasted with you and and thus you offered it um reed feel free to offer similar but and and i like the kind of message but i also would would have been interested in it going a more hard science path um Mm -hmm. but it just doesn't do that and so i'm kind of curious y'all's take on like and maybe it's too broad a question my apologies if it is but does does where it lands surprise you did it surprise you does does it feel like it's talking out of both sides of its mouth which is okay because like i said mm-hmm. earlier even jokey we are uh more than one thing uh so so kind of speak to that I a think, little bit if i think the film know. uh did surprise me in its ending at the time i first saw it if i remember right um <clears throat> and i can say uh, i did see it many times um, I saw I saw the theater the summer it was out in 97 and then I don't know maybe not even a year after that I got it on VHS and 
watched it a bunch of times on VHS, maybe 10, 20 times. And then once I, it might've been around 2004 when I got rid of all my VHS tapes and might've, might've gone since then without having seen it until recently I got the Blu-ray until nice. like a month ago. <laughs> and I saw it twice since then. Um, but uh, I think, um, I remember being in the theater when, when I first saw it and uh, I don't think there were too many people. I think I saw it maybe a weekday afternoon during that summer and, but there was like a group of teenagers in the theater and, and at the climax of the movie, when, when she's on the, the beach and the vegan, yeah. vegan, vegan, vegan planet. Vega. And Vega. Yeah. And she's on Vega and, uh, and so the ghostly figure turns out to be a uh, representation of her dad. But that's, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting conversation. And it always, I always, in all of, of what that alien looking like her dad, what he says, and what's that? What's that really supposed to mean thematically? Because mm-hmm. um, you can take it literally, mm-hmm. and, or you can try to interpret it. But, uh, but the kids in the theater, they were like, they were scoffing at it the whole time, laughing. And like, I guess they mm-hmm. expected it to be see some real alien, some yeah grotesque alien. But uh, uh, actually, there's more like a trivial bit behind the movie. Like Carl Sagan, he was around when uh, Stanley Kubrick was making 2001. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. Odyssey. I thought about 2000 uh, apologies to cut you off but I thought yeah. about 2001 so many times during the run of watching this film go ahead sorry yeah, I don't think I did in my original watch but in rewatches recently I, I've, I've noted that in 2001 sometimes I call that my favorite movie um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the uh, they devoted that in the more than one lesson li- listeners voted that mm. the favorite movie of those listeners. they did yeah um, yeah they're so. top 50 films of all time yeah, and I was yeah, one of those voters so. <laughs> um, yeah yeah but uh, Carl Sagan was called in by the makers Kubrick and when he was making that movie and, and I don't know, ask his advice or whatever. Um, but he he gave the advice that to not show the aliens or, or, or make the aliens give a representation looking like, like a human or, um, but Kubrick sort of sent him away and said, no, no, but that's eventually what he did. I don't know if it was <laughs> on Sagan's advice or he eventually just thought of it on his own or just calls it his own idea. But, that's interesting yeah. because that's what he decides to do for this movie on, or what he did in his book, which was uh, depicted in this movie. Um, yeah. And actually in the, in the trivia, he was developing the screenplay, but just got frustrated with it not being made fast enough. And that's when he yeah. wrote the novel. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, Nathan, I, so here's what's, here's what came to me while you were asking your question. This is not a critique of your question because I agree with everything it's you said clunky, yeah. that um, that that the film lands on a more faith positive message than I would have expected given what it was wrestling with. Now, some of that may have been pulling the punch a little bit for mid nineties sentiment towards right. uh, anti religious sentiment was not as strong in the mid nineties as it is it would be now to sort of be uh, more broadly embraced, but. I the exact thought that came to me is I actually don't think the fi- the film comes down uh, pro faith I th- I do think the film comes down and this is just a semantical maneuvering it comes down pro possibility and sure. that could match science or faith because I think it is the film is very much we are not alone and and, and they repeat that ref- that's why I say like pro possibility which is a term I'm just that just came to me but they say it at least three times in the movie if there's nothing out there it would be an awful waste of space and to me that strikes the note of yeah they i mean why are we going to take literal like 
trillions and trillions of light years of space slam our foot down and say, no, we are it. That is all like period end of discussion. We're not even the only galaxy, you know, like, and, and the thing that really fascinates me so much about looking, I mean, one of the questions I'm not necessarily asking this question right now, but one of the questions that I had written down to possibly come up is I was just going to pose it to you guys. Like what else is out there? Like what else is out there in the ether? And, uh, and the universe is so big. It's so huge. I am endlessly fascinated whenever I see anything new from, from NASA. I mean, I will say this. I, I am not advocating in the slightest, uh, that, you know, the, the Richard Branson's of the world or the Jeff Bezos or like space tourism, like, okay, whatever with all of that. And that's how you spend your billions of dollars. But I've said it before on this show. I think I've said it. When we discussed Event Horizon, uh, Steve, was like the prospect of like seeing what else is out there and like continuing to explore that that frontier. Maybe it's the Star Trek fan in me, but I'm like, I yes, I love that because I do I do love the scriptures. And when he flung the stars in the heaven and the the firmament and like you know, the, the stars are drifting away from each other and that's, you know, biblical language. But I, I view that as like all of these myriad of galaxies and the Lord looked at it and saw that it was good. Like that's moving to me. I'm like, look at all that out there and, and how profoundly powerful. Like there's so many little scientific videos. You look at the size of the earth compared to the size of the other planets mm -hmm. in this solar system. And then you compare that to the size of like red giants out there and everything. It's just, it is so huge. Yeah. There's, and, there's several moments in this movie where that's where they're trying to show us that opening moment where, yeah. they, where they zoom out. And then the moment where uh, her pod is almost at its destination where she's looking out and saying they should have sent a poet. She has no oh, way to explain goodness. the beauty. Yeah, what a lovely line that is. Like, yeah, they should have sent a poet. And and to me, I'm like, I keep thinking, and I'm not trying to play the whole like, oh, super spiritual read card here, but I I can't think about that and not think the heavens declare the glory of God. Like, I'm just I'm just looking at that, and yeah, some people might hear that and and view that in sort of uh, rigid fundamental ways, but like that opens me up so much, you know. Like, and and there's a sentiment. Um, that I'm going to express very clunkily, uh, but getting back to that moment where Jodie Foster is repeating, like, I'm okay to go, I'm okay to go, I'm okay to go. Like, I think there is something, Carl Sagan's widow said something about how he faced his death, like, bravely and, and, you know, just with a profound courage. And she did, th this saddens me a bit. She didn't ever expect to be reunited with him just because of their, um, skepticism and, their belief structures did not really uh, have room for the, that they would be reunited in a heaven structure or anything like that. But she talked about him facing death with such courage. And to me, as a person who deeply believes in God and Christ and, and so much of that, that uh, is not antithetical to me to just like, that's the journey so many of us has to take, not just death, but into the wonderment of what God has for us. Just, I'm okay to go. I'm okay to go. And I, I'll, I'll, pivot to something that the vegan in the form of her father says to her where she's like, you know, you built these, these passageways, these wormholes, if you want to call them or these things, he said, we didn't build it. Yeah. Like they were built long before us and maybe those people will come back or whatever. And there's a moment in this movie, like I, it, it just struck me so profoundly 
where after he tells her like, yeah, this is the way it's been done for billions of years. You come, you see, we connect, you go back. And, and then she looks up and traveling along all of these pathways or all of these potentially, this is the way I interpreted the moment, potentially comparable vessels that these ambassadors have sent to other civilizations. And all of those vessels are traveling across the, the pathways from galaxies you know, billions and trillions of light years away and all of this. And so as it floods, she looks up in the sky and she sees all of these lights taking that same curved path up there. And that's what struck me. It's just like, oh my gosh, just all I've talked about on pod before that Doug Tenapple book, Creature Tech, where mm-hmm. he sees a vision of the alien civilization and suddenly he sees the alien in a cruciform you know, fixture up there, like, like the Christ figure on the cross. And he looks up and he says, Oh my God, you're here too. And that's just where my mind and spirit goes is just this prospect of like, yes, all of it. <laughs> like, yeah. Her words when, when she first approached the planet and she saw like the, the lights of the civilization, she says, they're alive. Remember that? Yeah. They're alive. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, and, and, um, and that to me speaks profound beauty and wonder, you know, Christ told um, his disciples, he said, you know, there, there, uh, I'm, I'm, I didn't come prepared to talk about this particular scripture, and I think I'm going to poorly quote it, but he said, you know, I have, I have uh, sheep of another flock, and, and I'm, I'm going to them, and, and some theologians and historians have interpreted that to mean the Gentiles, or have interpreted that to mean other things, but I'm just like, who knows what Christ, <laughs> I mean, who knows what, I mean, yeah, but I mean, who knows what Christ was talking about, but I think there's also a, I promise I'm going to shut up. I'm just getting uh, uh, impassioned about this. Like Ray Bradbury has a story called The Man. And um, the story is about a group of scientists, a group of uh, astronauts who are uh, traveling to these different sort of planets on an exploration. And when they land on this one planet, to fast forward very much through the story, they land on this one planet and they learn from the people of that alien planet that Christ has visited them. Like, they didn't call, they don't call him Christ, but what he does for them, what he tells to them, everything. It is clearly Christ. And the scientists then are like, we're going to catch him. We're going to, we have to find him. We have to go to the next civilization. So they like keep trying to travel from place to place, following where Christ has been in constant pursuit to capture him. And then where the story lands is they finally, at one particular place, some of the astronauts stay behind. And when some of the astronauts stay behind and the, the one, you know, stalwart captain is like, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go try to find him. When the other astronauts just sort of stay behind, that's when they learn that Christ is actually there in the city with them and that they're going to go and, and visit with him or, or experience that. And it spoke so much to me about how, you know, the harder we try to sort of, uh, chase, call it control, call it, uh, you know, understanding whatever it is, the, the, the harder we try to chase after that for our own purposes and needs rather than dance with it, rather than be awed by it, rather than just be sort of washed over by the beauty and the majesty and the magnificence of it all, um, perhaps the more elusive and frustrating it will be for us. And that to dance with that <clears throat> is maybe a more profound sort of a stable and mature way to embrace that than to constantly be trying to you know, chase what you, what you can't control. Christ talked about the wind, you know, like the spirit is like the wind. You see its effects, but you, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. And, and I should probably hush now. Cause I'm just, a, I'm, I'm all over the place. But. You see that as, as uh, what the character of Ellie was trying to do in the movie and like she was the one chasing or. 
I think, I think to mm-hmm. a degree, yes. I think to a degree, she was, I think her primary goal was just to make connection. I think that was, that's what her character has always been about. Um, and I, I think it would be a disservice to the character to say that she was constantly chasing control because she as a character was constantly being subverted. She was constantly being pushed down. So it, it, it feels uh, unfair to sort of critique her for trying to chase control. But I do think, um, going into it, she is skeptical. Coming out of it, she is more open. And I think she is more, uh, sort of just, uh, captivated by the prospect of it than anything else. And that, and I find that, uh, tremendously moving for myself. But I think I can go back to what, uh, Nathan had posed before and what I thought about the way the movie ended up, I, I thought I, I, I saw it as a reconciliation between mm-hmm. the uh, scientific mind and the, and the, and the religious mind at the mm-hmm. end. And it's just a, re- a reconciliation between those two uh, ways of thinking. And I think uh, when, uh, when Ellie finally said that you know, she couldn't prove it and, but she had that profound wish that everybody else could uh, mm-hmm. uh, find their truth and, or, or, you know, I, until unless I see the quote, I can't put it the way she said it. Mm. But yeah, remember that she had that wish and wanted everybody to share, um, yeah. share and what she sees, um, and see learn the, that they're not alone. Yeah, I remember that part of it. But yeah, but McConaughey's character uh, Palmer was just looking on and in awe, and then came out and said that he believes her. I think mm. that they came to a real understanding there, and uh, mm. uh, they had, they had previously been respectfully of each other, but it, maybe it wasn't until that moment until that. They they really both had an understanding of each other and a reconciliation, um, and I think the the writer and the filmmakers really want to show that that's possible. Yeah, yeah. For people coming from those different diametrically opposed areas to to have friendship, I didn't think that the movie really had to have them have a romantic relationship the way that seemed mm. kind of like forced. But <laughs> mm. that's yeah, the way no. I think movies from from the late '90s tended to go. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's quite true. That's quite true. Um, I think so. The one thing that I am curious about is I think a lot of times people, and I'm, I'm a building up to a question for the, the pair of you is I think a lot of times I can't remember if this is a quote that somebody said or if it's just a, a I know I didn't originate the concept. I heard this somewhere. Um, that uh, the opposite of faith is actually not doubt, it's certainty. And I can't remember where I heard that. I don't think I originated that. But um, and, and that's obviously a broad thought to try to unpack. But I, I kind of wanted to explore an iota uh, between us. It doesn't have to be for long of just like, you know, what are, what are we skeptical about? And what do we take mostly on faith? Um, and, and I'll I'll answer for myself uh, just to kind of get the the ball rolling a little bit on it. But like I was thinking about the way this film challenges people who are generally skeptical, but it also to a large degree challenges people who are generally, you know, uh, uh, from a faith perspective, uh, definitely not as hard to your point, to your earlier point, Nathan, I think it leans a little bit more on the uh, challenging skeptics, but you know, this idea of the way evidence results in conclusions and the way like we have to have empirical evidence for certain things before we can believe in them, uh, before we can trust them, all, all of that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, like for myself, one of the things that I'm constantly wrestling with in terms of the skepticism and faith is 
talk about a big bomb, uh, the trajectory of humanity, like the trajectory of, of people, you know, like, and I know, right. But the climate that we are in and the way that we sometimes progress, it's a constant wrestling in my mind of whether I believe and hope for goodness in my, in, in, in my fellow people or, uh, think that by and large things are, uh, getting worse. And there is, catch me on any given day to discover whether or not I feel things are getting better or worse in terms of, um, you know, the way people generally go. And that's something that for myself, that conversation about skepticism versus faith constantly is wrestling between those two ideas, hoping and believing that we're going to be good and that, that we have something good within us. Um, and then skeptical that that's, that that's true. And so I guess it's a really clunky question, but just like for, for either of you that wants to take up the baton, like where does that sit for you? What is something that you're very skeptical about or what is something that you take mostly on faith? doesn't have to be in religious context, but just it can be, but um, just, yeah, maybe it's too clunky or too broad a question, but there it is. (laughs) You know, uh, at least what's kind of coming to me here. That's a bit of a, extrapolation of, of what I'm hearing or how I'm receiving what you're asking. I mean, in a general sense, and I don't know if, if I'm quite this way of late, or I don't want to say anymore because that feels disheartening, but I, I had always been for much of my life, very trusting of people. And and even that's you know a really broad statement but this idea that that on more days than i care to admit feels rather naive uh, uh these days of of thinking in a general sense we will choose well for ourselves and how that gets tested and sometimes you know sometimes subconsciously even just thrown aside. And it's interesting. This is a, uh, hopefully as in the spirit and stew of what you're kind of asking, because like one thing I, a quote I wrote down from the film, much as I can't stand the guy, Busey's line says his final line is with the apocalypse to come, we'll vindicate our faith. And, and so much of what I observe feels like, us craving our end (laughs) Mm. because of Mm. some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, And it may not feel like I'm answering your question, but I'm answering it in the way I've received it because something that really spoke to me that is, is rather uh, there's an exchange in the film late. Uh, It's right before Scarrett's passing he and Foster's last exchange where mm. he's basically, you know, kind of sort of in his way, apologizing for having undercut her efforts to get on the initial round one. Right. And, and he says to her, this is a paraphrase, but he says, I wish the world was fair, but we don't live in that world. And her response is funny. I, I always thought the world is what we make of it. Mm. And, I want to live more in that place. And it's a place I think a younger me believed a bit more in 
that uh, that an, an older me has to work to remind myself of that that we don't have to settle for fair or not fair that that at least in our own little place the world can be what we make of it and that can be a beautiful thing um anyway so i i, I can't tell if i'm i'm even in the ballpark of what you're you're asking but this notion yeah. of yeah mm-hmm where I like that the film lands that I feel is very an unoccupied space in cultural rhetoric today is good faith inquiry into what's possible to use your bar, your mm. word there. Mm-hmm. I feel like so much, uh, and, and a reason I have sort of backpedaled a lot from social media engagement, which is a stupid thing, but is how, kind of the common person like us engages in communication exchanges, you know, um, so much of it is bad faith. And so much of what passes for quote unquote truth seeking in our culture is, is just, is just cynical, bad faith engagement, right? It's Mm. not, Mm. it's not a desire to reconcile, to use the word Mm. you imported for us, Beckley. It like what, so so rarely does it feel like we are actually after a reconciliation right what it feels like we're often about is is dismissal is cynical one-upmanship is well the world's not fair you guys Mm -hmm. end of sentence and you know to me that is an an antichrist position in terms of it's funny you know, you, the way hearing y'all talk and and you know if if neither of you are Reed, i know you are at least in a an appreciator of but i don't know how much how just because we haven't talked about it a ton off pod before <laughs> to my recollection um richard Rohr really embodies a lot of what y'all talk about the two of you specifically i mean in terms of like he is he is an unabashed fan of and and engager with uh, the science of our world and of our, of our cosmos, as it were. And, 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 you know, there, there are a lot of times where reading his stuff, it's, it's very over my head, but, but you can just tell he, he, um, I've never been anti this strain of thought. It's just, I've never been as rabid as, as, as the two of you. And so don't pursue it to great lengths, but, you know, he is very like the cosmos is, the lords <laughs> mm, and mm. and and we should fear nothing about that um yeah. and if anything we should uh all the the quarks and supernovas <laughs> we should look at as uh, uh reflections of um a god spirit if you will so any, anyway just just kind of throwing that out like y'all would yeah. really be deep appreciators of of further engagement with his work mm, mm. Um, Steve, what would you, uh, if you have one, how would you kind of respond to this whole idea of what we, what we take mostly on faith, what we're skeptical of, uh, how those things contrast each other or maybe combat each other, depending on the context? Yeah. Well, what are we skeptical of? What am I skeptical of? I, I, I think, uh, this movie brings to, to mind, uh, like, how there are there are a lot of different religions in the world, and uh, at some point or another, they said how uh, uh, how can you question 
how can we send someone to, into space to meet aliens who have no faith in, in any belief in, in a higher power when, what they say, 95% of, of the world believes in a higher right. power, whether it's yeah. Christian or other. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was surprised it was that high a number. I, I thought more than 5% were atheists or agnostics, but uh, but that's what they said. I think um, the number's grown since 97. I was going to say, that number's probably climbed yeah. since in the last yeah. 25 years. Oh, yeah. the yeah, 5% sorry. climbed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I guess I, I'm skeptical of uh of any of any one religion because of the because there are so many different ones i think originally mm. <laughs> originally there was one christian religion and then it split off and split off with all the reformations and then whenever someone <laughs> disagrees with somebody else they form their own denomination mm-hmm. um, so that makes me uh skeptical of of any particular one so uh even even the church that i attend um i i always question what what different practices they do, what different uh, uh, different customs and, and ways they conduct services. Uh, mm-hmm. How is this the one way that, uh, that our God expects us to uh, to worship and uh, and recognize Him? Um, Can I mm-hmm. jump in there, Stephen? Sure, sure. Um, what what what's kind of ringing out to me just there is like, and getting back at this kind of good faith, bad faith idea. Like, I have such empathy for the desire for a box right Mm. like Mm -hmm. and and don't even think the desire for a box is a wrong-headed idea right but to your point it's when we insist or get to a place of insisting that that box is all there is Mm. is the Mm -hmm. only I, i i won't there's there's no real world where this person would listen to this but but i won't name any names in case of but uh, a a person i encounter in a semi-frequent fashion who is a much more uh plugged in to the evangelical world than i am um but it's close to our family i overheard recently them talking about a church they a pastor they were listening to and uh, I would say the speaker has a bit more of a smaller box. That's a, mm. that's a, that's a <laughs> good way to put it. Um, <laughs> a good faith way to put it. And and it was just interesting because because the the speaker was referencing this pastor and and referring to what he discovered he liked about this pastor was oh they're a reformed baptist and he was expressing what he was learning about what that meant and and oh and and one of the specific things and this is a word that just the next few years of my parenting life uh will be probably some version of continually like like the creature from the black lagoon swiping down this word <laughs> in my home uh, uh saying f that you know is the word biblical and and the speaker was referencing how oh you know what i learned you know is this what what the reformed baptist is and i'm not actually picking on reformed baptist just using the specific example here uh you know it's a much more biblical sort of approach to preaching they don't use this and that and the other it's biblical 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 and i just sit there hearing this thinking gosh get a bigger box like <laughs> and 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 i say that with love you know because because i get it i get the desire for a box it's just when we refuse to acknowledge value beyond our box right. uh mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we get in deep trouble individually and societally because mm-hmm. that will wreck us 
and is yeah. is wrecking us. Forget will is it is <laughs> wrecking us. I don't th- I don't even think it's a bad thing for there to be different ideologies. I mean, there's sure there are going to be as many ideologies as there are people. But I just think I hope not quite that many. But <laughs> yes, I do. I take your money. <laughs> no, I guess we each have our own way of seeing things that it's unique to us too. But uh, that's where the, there's the importance of reconciliation. Um, mm. That's that's often not even shown to have value and not taught um, how that's done. And that's I think that's why we have such division in the world today because um, we just stay in our bubbles, stay in our boxes, and, and yeah. find it find it well, hard to reconcile. And, and uh, apologies if we need to land the plane here, but the the okay. qu- the the sentiment that's coming to me, you know, I referenced having read a few months ago, Gregory Boyle's barking at the choir might be barking to the choir. It's barking to let a word the choir um, where he, he he says, stop trying to save people and start wondering how they're doing. Start asking mm-hmm. how they're doing. And to me, that's it. Like, this is the notion to your point just then, Steve, it's it's. Because saving people is getting them in your box, however tiny it is. Hmm. Wondering how they're doing, asking how they're doing is saying, what's your box like? Tell me about it. Because together we're going to enrich each other. Our boxes are going to somehow overlap. This metaphor is falling apart a little bit, but you understand what I mean. Stop trying to get everyone in your tiny space and start mm-hmm. inquiring and and loving that there are other spaces. Dang. Yeah. Anyway, honestly, how, honestly, oh no, you go ahead, Steve. You, oh, just because I think that's how uh, Ellie and uh, Palmer first met in the movie is what they just asked each other how they're doing. What's yeah. going on? They sure did. <laughs> well, and I think it's telling. And he was like, "How's your dad?" She's like, "What? Get out of my get out of my house." <laughs> um, well, and and this is a this is the segment of the show where Reed is making a bold statement. Um, that look out <laughs> that. I have pondered many times because historically speaking, who so frequently is making a fuss about Mm. the things which push things forward? Who is making a fuss about discovery and burn it? It's a witch. You know, like who is making a fuss? I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. (laughs) I'm not sure I want to be that anymore. (laughs) 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 She gets it. But like, it's it's usually religious constructs, and if anybody bristles, uh, we we have a large number of faith listeners here. Um, that if anybody bristles when you hear me say like, yeah, it's usually the church that's trying to stop it. Well, uh, read the Gospels and find out who was most upset by Christ's presence everywhere. It was the people whose control and power and structures he threatened by bringing the father directly to the people as, you know, using the, the scriptural language there. And um, I feel like that is something that is repeated over time that in general, I've said this before, I venture to say, I will say it again, that uh, the faith community is typically what you're either going to, your faith is either going to close you off or it's going to open you up. And I feel like, this, here's the bold statement after all that setup. I feel like in general, there would be less antagonism between science and religion, between culture and religion. I feel like there would be less antagonism between pretty much everything in religion if our hands were a bit more open and less closed. I think that is a bold statement, but I really feel like if the history of religious practice was less intent upon 
you have to do things this way and you have to say things this way and you have to believe things this way. If we were a bit more open to the possibilities and the prospects, I think we would do a better job of hearing God's voice, of following the Holy Spirit. I think there would be a tremendous amount more uh, just sort of openness to it. It was Paul himself when he was still Saul who was killing and persecuting the Christians until the Damascus Road experience in Acts and, and everything shifted and changed. We are so arrogantly prone to believe like, no, 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 I've got it. This is it. You shut up. Can't be, you know, can't be aliens. Can't be this. Can't be that. You know, you can't, none of that is possible. Okay. It's like, we can't accept any of that. That's a demon trying to trick you. You know, it's like, uh, dinosaur fossils are God playing a game with you. I'm like, who do you, what, what what are you? And I'm, I know I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be ultra reductive, but I do feel like it's like, yeah, stop. Think for a second. And, that's all, I, you know, it, scriptures say like, you know, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Do not shut your mind down. Do not shut your thought down. Do not shut critical thought down. Like people who tell me that religion and faith is inherently anti-intellectual, I think have missed the plot, but I think it's because of how many people just completely shut off all of these challenging thoughts and all of these wrestling thoughts. And and I said this to somebody, it was not in a religious context, but it was, um, paraphrasing a quote from C.S. Lewis, um, I basically said, look, I, I do subscribe to the notion that if it is true, no matter how much it discomforts or upsets us, we should believe it and follow it because it's true. And if it is untrue, regardless of how much it comforts us or you know whatever, then we should abandon it because it is untrue. Um, and I do think, broadly speaking, I do subscribe to that philosophy. And I think truth does not need to, uh, you know, sort of have defense, have, you know, all of these myriad of different structures to prop it up. I think truth will out to quote Shakespeare. Like I think, I think truth will, uh, present itself and cannot be squashed because it will continue to, uh, to raise itself. And that's, uh, contact. So, uh, I think a lot of people <laughs> go through their whole life without experiencing or knowing truth. Mm. And uh, I think. That's something that I think the movie does touch on. I mean, at the end, like I mentioned before, Ellie, that's her wish is for everybody to know truth. Yeah. To experience it. But, and she, and maybe she's even saddened and, and maybe that's something I'm saddened by too, is that a lot of people, they won't, they won't experience it truth and know, know for sure that it's true. She finally yeah. did at the end through this trillion dollar project. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, but, but her friend Palmer, told her in pillow talk earlier in the movie that he experienced truth earlier in his life. That's uh, right. But it, <laughs> That's right. But, yeah. but she was just skeptical of it until finally at the end. Uh, but I think th- that might be what is driving it. Yeah. And I, and listen, I'll, I'll, I will shut up with this, yeah. that one of the most affecting and, and beautiful and powerful statements in all of scripture to me is the man who was blind and born blind his eyes were open, and then he spends an entire chapter of the scriptures with people drilling him and grilling him of like, who's this? Who is this? Don't you realize the guy was a sinner? Don't you realize this is not possible? And he's like, look, I don't know all of these things. I don't know if he was a sinner or not. And I was blind, and now I can see, talking about what had happened to him. I was blind, and now I can see. And I think that is one of the most beautiful, profound, simple, and just like an arrow to my heart of like, yes, that is faith. That is faith that I was blind and now I can see. And um, 
Steve, I want to thank you for for bringing contact into our world. That uh, this has uh, been a, a conversation I've really enjoyed. So we struggled because we were doing it on the fly last week. We struggled a little bit with the fog meter. Nathan, I think you had a really great idea. Do you want to? Oh boy, t- uh, tell people what we what we've decided to do for the for the shift in the fog meter, if you will. Uh, sure. Yes. Um, it, it will. It's, it's the best we got. And so we're going to go with it. Uh, so what <laughs> we're going to do is keep the, uh, uh, keep the F as part of the fog. Um, and <laughs> man, all the places we can go. Um, we are going to do fun. Okay. That's what we're going to do. Fun. There's a whole, uh, uh, treatise I, I verbalized to read today as we were talking through this. I'm not going to bore us all with that right now because you know what? Not every scary movie is utterly fearful. So right. we, we, there's a, it's a sliding scale. Uh, yeah. and you know, it's going to give us some fun numbers in our metrics for, uh, what saves us. So fun and God, how fun yeah. a thing is or isn't. And you can interpret that however you want. Uh, uh, looking at your, person's dad's picture in bed go for it that's fun <laughs> um and god and then we're going to assess our recommendation level of this so because i just outlined it and um you know here we are i'm going to start the fun train here and say for co- 1997's robert zemeckis directed contact i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a three on the fun factor because Seeing Jake Busey get blown up is just not something I will tire of. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's three out of 10. You give it a three yeah, out of 10. Yeah. Well, Jake you Busey. know, okay. Yeah. You, you convinced me. Uh, uh, Rob Lowe's <laughs> asinine uh, uh, vocal affectation. I'll, I'll give it a four. So it's a four. That's okay. a four on the fun meter. What about you? Four on the fun meter. Yeah. What about you, Steve? Testing out a new metric here. So out of 10. Out, out of 10, 10. Out of 10. Uh, fun I'll meter. It, I'll give it a seven on the fun meter. Look out. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I like this movie. I think it's very fun. All yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what about you, Reed? Uh at, at the risk of overanalyzing it a bit, I, I think the areas where it's too broad kind of stand out to me. I think it, it is quite lengthy. Maybe couldn't have could have tightened the runtime a little bit. Um, but uh, but for me, I'm very moved where the film gets it right it really stays with me. And I think that's not nothing. So, uh, so on the fun meter, uh, I'm going to give it a six. All right. And I got to throw this in because I just chuckled and people will be like, why is Nathan laughing? That's what I do. <laughs> uh, so uh, my life has been a little crazy this week. I intentionally planned this afternoon slash early evening to watch contact before we recorded. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, I had X amount of time before we got to this recording and I was in my head. I had not looked this up and I was like, ah, it's not going to be two and a half hours. I'll be okay. And <laughs> I go cue it. I was like, wow, I uh, couldn't have been more wrong. You know, <laughs> it is exactly two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, she could have, maybe she could have said, okay to go times, right? Yeah. 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 I'm okay to go play, play, <laughs> not a minute to waste. That's All right, awesome. Reed, starting with you on the God factor and then cycling back. So around. as I said early on, I, I am significantly more interested in what this film is interested in. I don't think so. My God measurement is not necessarily going to reflect how well I think it covers this, but kind of what you said, Nathan, I give it a slow clap for daring to have the conversation. So I'm actually going to give this an eight on the God meter in terms of just 
it's it directly tackles the skepticism versus faith, science versus religion, and and uh, and I kind of slow clap it for that. So eight for me on God. Cool, Beckley. I mean, I submitted this for what saves us, so I'm I giving it a ten. All right, all right, there it there is. There it is. There yeah, it is. I think it's very um, deep, and the way it generates conversation, that's enough to give it a ten. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to split the difference between you boys and and go with a nine. I mean, we often use the old line of not sure if this is what the movie's after. There's no question what this movie is after. And it is a very <laughs> thoughtful consideration of ideas. Um, yes. And I think by and large, it hits the mark uh, uh, sometimes a bit too on the nose uh, really, but uh, this is clearly what it's after. Um, I feel pretty confident in my nine there for the awesome. God factor. Well, uh, but mean- the, yeah, I'm sorry. Tell us the new oh, fog metric. No, that's okay. No, that what just, score. that, that just means we give it a seven out of ten on of the the do. the fog meter, but this time not fear in God, but fun in God, the fun of God. Um, we give it <laughs> oh the fun of God. We give it um, a seven out of ten on the fog meter. So there's that. But I mean, ultimately, you know, a, 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 a numeric is a numeric is a numeric. Do do you recommend the film? And um, I'll. St- start i if you're trying to cram a movie into an afternoon for a very specific purpose i don't know uh, is the short of it <laughs> but if you are interested in some thoughtfully considered uh and again i think both foster and mcconaughey deliver great performances um the the rest of the the crew more or less notwithstanding um i i think i think i give it a soft recommendation uh, uh i did not love the film i liked a lot about it and loved the two main performances for me what about you beckley i think i think despite the actual long run runtime it it really flows and uh i, I was surprised when you said it was two and a half hours long uh, I, I would recommend it to uh, any of our listeners i think anyone yeah. with a faithful mind or skeptical mind might uh have their mind opened by this movie and mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I definitely recommend it. I think that's I like a lovely it. way to put that. Um, I'm I'm going to also land in the soft recommendation camp. Um, I think that it spends a tremendous amount of time sort of digging into the science of it in the middle, uh, which can which might be a little disarming for certain people. And but and I again I keep commenting on the areas where the film is is very clearly very broad. Um, but no, I, it is a soft recommendation. This is a, I mean it's it, it's a film about ideas and everything, and it's PG. Like it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very accessible. And, um, I think, uh, there's some moments that are genuinely very moving. So, yeah. So I, I mean, this I, movie, I, it was a summer blockbuster and that, that's evident. Oh. It has, it has the elements of a 1990s summer blockbuster, even though it's very thoughtful. No, that's and a good I point. It's an interesting, uh, piece of film history for those reasons. Stuff yeah. blows up. Yeah. yeah. Blockbuster. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, that puts this next chapter in hashtag what saves us, uh, in the books. Uh, thank you so much, Steve, for submitting contact to us. I've loved this conversation. I really appreciated getting to watch the movie again. I found much of it very moving. And, um, Nathan, as always, thank you as well for having this conversation. And thank you listeners for listening to us. Next week, we're going to be continuing, um, with a, uh, a submission from another listener. Um, so, uh, because we can, 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 we are going to go to, <laughs> we are going to go to, uh, a very spectacular, spectacular film and discuss Baz Luhrmann's 
Moulin Rouge. That is coming next week. Moulin Rouge on next week's hashtag what saves us. As we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else. Be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.